I've always described gardening in this country as a bit like an orgy in a telephone box because you don't know where to stop <laughs> and you don't know where to start. Welcome back and thank you for listening to episode two from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcast. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener from the Cotswolds in England. And today I've headed over the border into Wales and the Welsh hills to talk to Stephen Anderton to find out more about his life and to ask a few questions about his latest book, Lives of the Great Gardeners. Afterwards, I speak to my longtime gardening pal, Jeff Carr, for our regular feature of product review. This time, Jeff introduces me to a simple piece of equipment that he finds invaluable around the garden. Back in Wales, Stephen really takes some finding and the journey includes mountains, bogs, narrow single track roads and a five-way crossroads, unsignposted. It's a beautiful day, there's no traffic noise, birds are singing and it's a perfect chance to talk about gardens and gardening. Stephen, thank you for talking to us. That's all right. Nice to have you here. Um, you've been a writer for consumer magazines, newspapers. You're an author, a lecturer, uh, journalist for The Times. You've written for Country Life. Um, books. Some of the books you've written include Discovering Welsh Gardens. You've wrote that lovely biography on Christopher Lloyd um, and the latest book, Lives of the Great Gardeners. Um, and I've heard also, you've probably said it once and it's been oft repeated, uh, a self-confessed sado. But I think that was probably referring to... Your... Well, I'd love to know what it was referring <laughs> I to. I think it was referring to your early days when you were uh, into plants as a teenager. Or... Oh, <laughs> well, there's that Roy Strong line about the gardener who resorts to plants has failed. And it may, I don't know, it may have been, uh, you know, some reference to being, to not having grown out of being indiscriminate about plants. Yes, well, I, I apologise if it's not self-confessed, <laughs> <laughs> if it's the first time you've heard it. Heard it may be self-confessed, but what the detail was, I don't know. <laughs> it's not universal. Um, what drew you into horticulture and gardening in the first place? Uh, well, I was doing a drama degree uh, and especially interested in stage design and sort of spatial stuff and I'd always garden as a kid um, and it seemed to me they belonged together I suppose um, and did uh, some postgrad landscape design which in those days was very civic and part-time and to be done from a landscape office job which I couldn't get mm -hmm. with that degree so uh, I ended up doing it from a gardening job and thought this is so much more interesting. Uh, there was a guy teaching the course who was perfectly good at his job uh, who said in all correctness that you could be a very good landscape designer if you knew 50 plants inside out and I thought god he's right isn't this awful <laughs> so I didn't Let's talk about your latest book, which was uh, Lives of the Great Gardeners. How did that come about? Do you come up with the idea? Thames and Hudson have done, you could almost call it a series of great this and that. Um, and more often than not, they've been a collection of essays by people who were the biographer of Explorer X and a different one for Explorer Y, and then got somebody to edit them. 
Yes. And then some of them they've had uh, get one person to write through, which is what I did. Um, the book talks about 40 different gardeners and it's split into four sections, I think, 10, mm. in, ten gardeners in each, isn't it? Um, obviously, we haven't got time to talk about all the gardeners in there. Um, so there's just a few that caught my eye. Yeah. Um, most of who, you know, I'd heard of, um, one or two I hadn't. But um, Charles Jenks, he's from the, um, uh, he has the Garden of Cosmic Speculation, I think it's mm. called. And I remember that when I was at college back in the 90s, that caught my eye and it was quite interesting. But at the time, my idea of physics was rather limited. I'd heard that if you look through a pair of binoculars long enough in one direction, you'd eventually see the back of your head. It's quantum physics, Geoff. Or is it quantum mechanics? Was that the theory of relativity? Now, um, now I think Charles probably goes beyond that, those sort of ideas. But have you actually seen the garden? Yeah, 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 quite a long time ago. And I've seen other things he's done and followed what he does. Um, I think he's very important, actually. And in various ways, a lot of what he does just doesn't appeal to people. Um, and quite a lot of what he does is, and I wouldn't, I think he's wonderful, but I think I can say this. Uh, some of it's too clever by half. In that, um, great art of any kind, whether it's gardening or whatever it is, is an idea that goes into a maker's head, mm -hmm. maybe in his case it's cosmography or science or whatever it is, and it swirls around and comes out as something else, and which with a bit of luck is beautiful. But it isn't just a pun, a dimensional pun, like all these dreary, lazy installation gardens. I mean, they're fun, they're fascinating, but they ain't art. No. There's somebody making a pun. Puns are easy. So uh, some of what he does is absolutely brilliant because it can do that. Um, and then some of the smaller scale stuff, I think, well, actually, this is a very complicated pun. Big stuff's brilliant. And it will last. And it's important because um, his gardens, his whatever you want to call them, aren't house-based, you know, they don't s spread out from a person in a house, a domestic landscape. Um, and really all gardens, until him, in a way, do, um, because that's classical tradition. And he is almost, really, the first person to do anything with post-Darwinian thinking. So he, he will make a garden based on modern ideas that don't put man at the centre, you know, and the owner at the centre of everything that's made. I just, it's such a relief. <laughs> it is, it's a good change. One of the gardeners you mentioned that I hadn't heard of, um, Alexander Reeford or Refford, oh, um, yes. Canadian chap, mm. um, more known, I think, for setting up an international festival in Canada. Is that right? Oh, entirely known yeah. for that. In yes. Yeah. I mean, he's a regional historian, if you like. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's his thing. And he's in there because um, he has helped change attitudes uh, to gardens and gardening. And if you, you could say that. <laughs> He's one of the people who encourages these 
dreadful installation <laughs> that you've just been mentioning. It, yeah, yes. that I've just mentioned. Um, and then I have to say they're not all. Um, and they do a lot of good. And he's uh, encouraged huge interest in gardens and, and the way people think about gardening over there. Um, so it's quite a breath of fresh air, especially that side of the Atlantic, because this kind of thing had got going here. And it's quite, I mean, a bit like Jenks, it's quite important that um, now that so many people can afford to garden ambitiously, you know, suburban gardens upwards, now people are prepared to spend on it, um, that we get rid of this idea that in order to be a gardener you have to have sat at your grandfather's knee for ten years first, you know. Um, and being a saddow yeah. about plants. Well, there it is, you yeah. see. Because things like uh, Reeford's Métis Festival and things like Ground Force on telly uh, make people think that they can approach making a garden from an idea. Well, I mean, it can be sort of anything. Domestic decoration doesn't matter. But... but it's starting a garden from an idea rather than saying, I want this plant, I want that plant, you know. And thinking, I'm feeling free to do that. And that's great. Doesn't mean it's going to be any good. That's <laughs> a separate <laughs> issue completely. They may never make anything that's any good. It doesn't matter either. But um, it's great that people could, it's, it's a great freedom for people to think they can do it that way. Yeah. And for some people, it's a much faster way in, much more productive Yes, and of course, in. as installation gardens, often they're only there for a year. Yeah. If they haven't worked, you don't have to live with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and most of them, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know, they're barely gardens, really. They're things you look at rather than be in. Um, and all of that's fine. But I think they're installations, not installation gardens. That's... Uh, Look at the other end of the spectrum, almost. Mm. Lawrence Johnston. Yeah. Hidcut, Gloucestershire. Um, where did you even start researching for Lawrence Johnston? Does the National Trust help you out there? No. Um, oh, you do all the usual things. You, you look at the main books and the biographies and mm. go to their bibliographies and, you know, talk to some people and keep going. Hidcut's obviously been a garden now for well, not 100 years yet is it but uh, oh, probably not far off 30s how do you think it fits into uh, gardening in the 21st century well it's it certainly still uh, inspires a lot of people oh doesn't it? yeah 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 it's massively influential um because it, i mean at, at its simplest being chopped up into little spaces like that you know garden rooms um, appeals to people with smaller gardens they can take ideas away and that's always good um, but I think uh, one of the things it does well too and I'm not sure what they say not sure this is what everybody takes away but I think is important about Hidcote is that it has uh, simple spaces cool calm spaces as well as the busy ones. Mm. And so many gardens that are divided into lots of little boxes have um, no peace. <laughs> 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 and it does. That's good. It's greatly to its credit because so many 
gardener designers, plantsman designers, um, can't do peace. They think everything, they're shadows, they think everything has to be full of plants. (laughs) And so it's no pleasure to them if it's simple and peaceful. They want more, collect, you know, and uh, that's fine, but didn't make a better garden. From one garden to another, uh, Sissinghurst, Vita Sackville West. Um, now, after she got married to Harold Nicholson, um, they lived in um, Constantinople for a while. Um, and when they came back, their first house they were going to consider was Bodium Castle, mm. of all places. Um, how do you think uh, that might have affected her career <laughs> or, or her, you know, her rise to fame? Yeah, <laughs> or would she have made something out of that? Well, I think she'd have risen to fame as a poet, wouldn't she, regardless? Yes. Uh, and probably had her rural interests pushed more into poetry. I mean, she was a huge learning curve for her, making that garden, you know, so um, she perhaps never would have gone down it. Yeah. I don't know. No, don't know what no. the answer to that is at all. I mean, she was as interested in things architectural as he was, really. I mean, he was the pusher, but, you know, it was a shared interest, shared uh, romance. And she'd certainly have had the romance there. Would have been interesting because it's literally just a stone's throw from uh, Dixter, Dixter, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it would have been neighbours. Look down on it. <laughs> but uh, no, does it have a, a green courtyard in the middle? I can't remember. I think I've been. Mm, um, uh, potentially it could. Yeah, it's probably gravelled over now. But what uh, the Ministry yeah. of Works would have said, I don't know. I, I don't know. Is it private or is it? I, I think it's open to the public, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah, it is. Yes, but whether yeah. it's an English heritage oh, or right, a yeah. private ownership I i'm not know. sure no no but yeah that would have been interesting um now when the uh national trust took over um hidcurt mm. she was the first person to write the guide yes. to hidcurt um i mean that must have influenced her do you think oh, oh surely yeah 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 and uh she was influential in in them getting it at all uh she was firmly of the opinion that he ought to come and it was the first garden on its own that they got so to speak all oh, right yes yeah uh, which was a step change for them um and it got uh, i don't know what the position on endowment was exactly but it had a certain amount of money with it but you know it wasn't uh phenomenally endowed mm. so it went yeah it was a bit of a risk for them yeah now Again, Hidcote and Sissinghurst. I mean, Sissinghurst, of course, well-known for the White Garden. Um, Hidcote for its red borders. Mm. Um, things like that are still popular now. Why do you think... Why do we do that? Well, it's a striking... Colour-themed borders. Well, if you wanted to be mean, you'd say it's because uh, it makes things simpler. Uh, it's something to latch on to. Because... Uh, I've always described gardening, gardening in this country as a bit like an orgy in a telephone box because you don't know where to stop <laughs> and you don't know where to start. <laughs> There's so much to play with that actually if you're a beginner and even if you're not a beginner, mm. having some kind of focus is a damn good thing. You know, it's a bit of discipline um, and it's something you can then polish at and work at. And in the end, 
discipline is what makes anything speak, you know. Um, if you have a bit of everything, it's chaos and a dog's breakfast and yeah. it's a muddle and well, muddles aren't striking. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly what, what I, how I see it. I mean, I, I think it reduces your choice to some mm. extent um, and makes decision-making easy, you know, in mm. some ways. Yeah. There's a red plant. I'll have it. Yeah, yeah, surely. <laughs> and it can produce some dreadful gardens. Oh, I'm sure. Because <laughs> A, because there's red and red, and B, because yes. uh, different reds, you know. And then uh, B, because it tempts people to have something red that's going to leave an enormous hole at a different time. I mean, it's so difficult to have a single colour garden on all cylinders yes. all the time. Yeah. And Vita Sackville West's white garden... Uh, as far as she was concerned, was for night time. Ah, right, yeah. Because, you know, lived in all those different bits of houses and the magic was walking through it in the moonlight when things glowed, you know. Yes. You can see that and the gaps would matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yes. <laughs> um, do any of the gardens that you've written about in the book particularly stick in your mind for any, any reason? There's 40 of them. <laughs> There's 40 of them. Uh, yeah, actually. Um, Vorlitz at Dessau. Yes. Uh, which is a um, late 18th, early 19th century garden. Uh, and it's a um, landscape garden made after the English landscape garden tradition by a German um, who was besotted with all things English. And a bit like Stourhead, it focuses around a lake. And I was lucky enough to go to the first night, first launch, if you like, of uh, a 30-metre artificial volcano which had been repaired with uh, funds which came from those big Elba Valley floods a few years ago. And the whole, the whole of the garden's fantastic now. It had snooze under... Eastern European, Eastern Bloc ownership, um, benign neglect, thank goodness, and then been got going again. And they recreated an eight-hour fetch on Petra in that place, during which we went on gondolas round the lake and had million and one kinds of music and nymphs and fawns in the reeds and wenches uh, in traditional sort of peasant low-cut tops leaning over bridges and hurling baskets of rose petals into the gondolas and the evening ended with the eruption of this volcanic island which is all done by smoke and uh, light and water no fire involved and it's got these huge holding tanks up the island and um you know, if, if that's why it sticks in the mind, it's, it's partly because that's sort of what gardens are about. It's what they're for, for um, taking pleasure in. No, taking, <laughs> taking provocation in. I mean, none of this lying on a lounger with a bottle of wine. I mean, that's... Oh, God. I always think there should be a prize at Chelsea these days for the the best bottle of wine lying on its side on a table on a show garden because you know gardens aren't just for slobbing out in 
I mean, some people like gardening them, and that's fine. But you know, they should they should have enough to say. They should excite you a bit, uh, not frenziedly, but you know, they yeah. they should be a good kind of provocation, um, and um, things like that. Evening at Rolitz are just phenomenal, you know, and and great gardens down the ages have done that. And yeah. when I have my daughter's wedding next summer. I'm uh, auditioning nymphs for the reeds. Seriously? I'm going to have nymphs in the reeds. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, yes. wonderful. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> will forget it, as I didn't forget violets. Fabulous. <laughs> now, let's move on from the nymphs. Just, uh, there's a couple of, I mean, as I say, there's 40 gardeners in your book. Mm. Um, Christopher Lloyd, of course, was one of them. Um, we don't need to go into any detail because you've already written about him in a biography that we, we mentioned uh, before we started recording. Um, and there's a book that I've, I'm really enjoying at the moment. As I say, I pick it up at any page, start reading a paragraph and find four pages later I'm still reading it. Good. Which doesn't, doesn't <laughs> lead to a very... Uh, leads to a bit of a fragmented uh, read ultimately. But uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's very hard to put down. And the other thing, of course, is you can read it in the bath, whereas the life of the great gardeners uh, yeah. soon yeah. tires... <laughs> <laughs> but they are still lives. Yes. I mean, I think that's worth saying. They're not just professional resumes, which you can find if, you know, various gardeners. I think it tells you a bit about the person if you pick up 40 great gardeners. Any new projects in the pipeline? Well... That you can tell us about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still working hard on this second musical at the moment. Yes. Um, and... Uh, on my woodland here, mm-hmm. which is, you know, huge pleasure, big part of the garden. Um, and again, uh, I suppose it goes back to the shadow bit. I do think I've grown out of the need to have everything. That was the sad bit, you know, the need to have everything. Yes. I'm getting serene. So uh, it really is a case of um, adding nothing, just taking things away and getting the the moss crisper and crisper by the acre <laughs> literally uh, and it's wonderful to work on it's absolute magic yes your garden here in wales you've been here 10 years um as you just said it's an ongoing project still going now um how much of it was here when you moved in and how much have you had to uh shift and move and I, well the woods a big part of it really but uh yeah, we've done a certain amount of terrace making, which is mostly rock moving, <laughs> bedrock moving, uh, and made one real massive walk through flower garden on the one sheltered side of the house because we are perched up in the hills here. Um, but again, that's fine. I'd, you know, it's a, it's an old farmhouse and. It doesn't want yards and yards of garden. Why would it? It wants to look like it belongs with the place. And also, gardens have this awful habit of leaking out into the landscape. And I want this to look like a farmhouse in the landscape from the other side of the valley, not some place leaking (laughs) rhododendrons. There was one rhododendron here when we came, screaming red. And you could, you could see it for... Not exactly miles around, but you know, it's stupid. You know, and the, and there was um, white stemmed 
birch, you know, Betula Jack Montei at the front gate. Now I had that down because that, that's the wrong side of the garden wall, you know. You just want simpleness and ordinariness. And if I look across the valley here, I can see virtually nothing but native trees. By which I mean there aren't any fancy things like horse chestnuts. Hmm. And you may say that's not fancy, but well. this palette is a lot simpler than that. Just yes. oak and ash and thorn and elder and... Well, that's not far off it, you know. Yeah. So, so peaceful. So a lot of the planting on one side of the house, the other side of the house, it's fairly open. Was, was that because of exposure and protecting the plants, or did you want to keep that rear view open and simple? At this side? Yes. I will, as I said, I hate gardens that leak out, and funnily enough, it was the other way here. The, the, the landscape came too far in, so actually this three-sided courtyard, whatever you can call a three-sided space, um, we terraced and then just put these wobbles of beach and box and things um, around it just to feel like the lumpy hedges that are around and that you see across the other side. No, if anything, um, we've restricted the view. But you can't have everything from everywhere anyway. You don't want everything from everywhere. Mm. My wife doesn't like it. She'd rather be able to do what she calls burst out. And I have to say, well, you can still burst out through that gap, you know. But, I mean, it has made a world of difference because wind is a serious thing here. And that's fine. You live with it and, and I have no problems. Um gardening to my satisfaction with it but you have to learn what not just what grows but what doesn't look as if it's being blown it's a different thing you know mm -hmm. things will survive when you look at thorn trees on the top of limestone pavements in the lake district and they're all at 45 degrees yes. and they're fine and the sheep clear them onto a clean leg you know but um they look they're worrying. You wouldn't want to live around plants that are pressed by the climate. Climate is brilliant, by the way. Absolutely. It's um, middle to upper 30s inches of rain a year spread through the year, which is fabulous growing. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure you've got plenty to do. Now, when we go back in, I'm going to ask you to sign the book, that I've, your book that I've got, um, just to prove to my wife that I'm not uh, <laughs> out courting a woman called Mafanwi in the middle of nowhere, um, as if I actually make it back um, along these lanes, these winding lanes. But no, thank you very much, much for your time and uh, good luck with any future projects. Thank you. Many thanks to Stephen for his hospitality after spending so much of his valuable time with us. Thankfully I managed to find my way out of the labyrinth of winding lanes, though it was only when I got back home that I realised in my excitement I hadn't taken any photos of Stephen or his garden. As a medium, podcasting is primarily audio, so I hope you won't notice. Next, I'm back in Gloucestershire with Jeff Carr for a product review. We find Jeff in the border using a product that I haven't seen before, and I'm sure if you haven't seen it, you'll find this interesting and useful too. I'm back in the garden for another product review with my mate Jeff Carr. He's at 
jeffreycar.co.uk and um i'm over here Geoff. i can see him he's he's uh, secreted in a corner um, I'm going to have to wade through the... Uh, I'm in the long border. <laughs> in the long border. I'm going to have to wade through the undergrowth. There you go. And there, there he is. Morning, Jeff. Morning, Jeff. So, what are you going to show me today? I'll describe it to you. It looks like a broomstick cut in half, stuck in the ground with a circular platform that is 10 centimetres wide about 20 centimeters from the top it looks a bit like a jousting stick to it me. it does indeed yes it, it looks very medieval it's incredibly useful and i use it a lot when i'm in the borders either tying roses to frames or if i'm tying plants to supports the reason it works is because this medieval looking device has this circular platform on it and on the platform is a ball of string <laughs> How long is a ball of string, Jeff? How long do you want me to go on for? <laughs> on. What it, so basically, we've got a, a, a string holder. It's a string holder, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's elevated, so it's at waist height. It's elevated and it's at waist height and you can just pick it up and when you go to the next job, you just stick it back in the ground so it's right next to you and a extra feature on it that makes it really worth its money is that on the top of the... Um, cut in half broomstick handle is a little blade oh i see and there's that a little slot it's so useful show you, me you just pick up the string yeah and when you've selected the length of string you want here i've got about what Four, so, 10 inches yeah about that you just drop it onto the blade <laughs> you've used yours ah there we go <laughs> and it just cuts it i like that and then you can just tie up things onto a frame without having to hold the string yeah. in your pocket or drop it or holding your secateurs to cut the string with. Jeff's then, actually tying something on at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. And then you can just move on to the next one. And again, you just pull the string to the length you want and just put it onto the blade. And there you go. I like that very much. It's so useful. Do you know if it's got a name or a I, I don't brand? Know. Or, no? I don't know. I bought it at a trade fair uh, last summer. Um, it, it wasn't Glee. I, I forget where it was. I th actually, I think it was RHS Tattenhall. Yes. Uh, it's one of the trade stands there. They make uh, all sorts of wooden products. They, they make the uh, little device for making uh, pots out of newspaper. It's, yes, I've it's seen a, those. a little, little wooden chuck that you wrap the newspaper around and then ram it into a, a kind of cup that makes it into a, a pot shape. Perhaps that's a, an item for another project review. Possibly, but we've given it away now. Oh. <laughs> uh, so they make wooden products, and uh, I saw this and thought, oh, is it a gimmick? Oh, but it looks like it might be useful. I, I would walk straight past it and think, yeah, that's for other people. But immediately seeing it and seeing you using it, yeah. You know, I want one. Yeah, it does. It it really does the work. Can you think? Can you remember how much you paid for it? Oh, it was. Um, it, well, again, knowing you, it, it was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'd probably go even cheaper and try and make one. Well, why not? <laughs> yeah, you could. You could make one yourself. It's that little blade on the top that's going to be awkward, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But I have actually considered making one myself. Um, but it's just the blade is at an angle. It's set into a little recess in the top of the uh, the shaft of the device. Yeah. Uh, so you can't cut yourself, uh, it's completely enclosed, and uh, I use it 
a lot, especially in the summer, really useful in the summer. Yeah. Um, when you're tying things in or you're trying to support plants by tying string around them up to a frame. Uh, it means you're not constantly having to get your secateurs out and or carry a pair of scissors with you. Yeah, I mean, what I've tended to do um, is, you know, I'll, I'll cut myself 10 or a dozen or 20 lengths of, of string and then stuff them in my pocket and you pull one out and the whole lot come out and yeah. fall on the floor and you're up a 12 foot ladder yeah. you know um, yeah. i'm saying that this wouldn't be much use of a 12 foot, <laughs> foot ladder really, would no. it? maybe you get an extendable really. version you get a really <laughs> really long pole yes now um i noticed now you 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 haven't mentioned it but you you've you've made a a jeff car hack i have haven't I, you? yeah what, if, if tell you, me why I'm, and explain what you've done i'm holding the device up into the air so, so i can, can see, see the bottom of it and the bottom is uh, a spike, so it looks like a huge pencil. It, it's a bit like it's a, a cricket stump, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like a cricket stump. But sometimes when you're in a part of the border that hasn't been dug over as well as it might have been, it's quite hard to get that, which is just over an inch in diameter, yes. deep enough into the ground. So I've attached an old bow from a bow and arrow. Yeah, you've, no, you've, you've attached the arrow. I've attached the arrow, that's correct. <laughs> Come on, Robin Hood. <laughs> get it right <laughs> i've attached the arrow to the side of the old broomstick yeah uh, with some cable ties and the arrow is probably about a quarter of an inch in diameter and it's just so easy goes into anything now it just sticks in the yeah, ground really easy i think that's a brilliant idea um well we can't name the product but um no we don't know the name of it but um i'm pretty sure there's only one outfit that's making yeah them. yeah um, um, I'm tempted. I think I'm going to go and look that yes. up later on Amazon or eBay and uh, see what I can find. Good. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Jeff. Another Pleasure. brilliant product. That's uh, my mate Jeff Carr at jeffreycarr.co.uk. Thanks, Jeff. Well, Jeff, many thanks for your time again. That was a really interesting product. I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode when we'll have another product to discuss and review. Since recording, I've tried very hard to find a name or supplier for the product that we discussed, but as yet I haven't been able to find anything. Maybe some of you out there can help. That's about it for this episode. If you want to contact me or find out a little bit more about me, you can go to joffelfic.co.uk. And if you like a good Twitter, you can find me on at Pot and Cloche or at joffelfic. I'm always happy to hear about any products you might like us to review on the show and would love to hear from you with any ideas you might have. In the next episode, we're going to talk to Richard Gatenby from Barnsley House, Rosemavira's former home, and we also visit the nursery at Misadon where we talk to its owner, Julie Dolphin. In the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed and your box be free of blight. See you next time. Oh, one footnote. Somebody asked me about my interest in wildlife sound recording. It's just a hobby, and I haven't been doing it for long, but I'll let a nightingale I recorded in the Cotswold Water Park last year sing you out.